Hi. I have a I have a question. I do not want you to raise your hand or anything on this because the question is, have you ever been so have you ever just been out of whack and just messing up everything around you all at the same time? <laughs> okay, see, see it's a rhetorical thing. You don't have to respond. I'll just tell you that I for sure have been what my dad used to say to me is head up in a locked position, <laughs> right? You just have an opinion, you're going with it, you're doing this thing. Um, I had planned on being in Genesis 5 today. I am not. During my time and vacation, I came back to this, this, this thought in Genesis 4, kept niggling at me. I was like, oh, you have to talk about that. You have to talk about that. And so we're going to go backwards just a little bit, and I'm going to do some introduction that I didn't do. I'm going to pick up a little bit of the stuff that I hadn't planned on talking about, but I'm going to do this. And so um, I've always sort of thought, and, it, and in fact been taught, that Genesis 3 is the fall. And in praying about it and going through, I want you to know that the structure of Genesis actually says Genesis 3 and 4 is the fall. And it goes all the way to the bottom of the fall. And I just want to explain this and how we know this is that, that in Genesis, there are 12 divisions of the text, and they call them toledotes, toledote theories, or what it says is these are the generations of, and then it goes on to describe that. In Genesis 2, verse 4 is the first one. It says, these are the generations of heavens and earth. And then it has the creation story about the humans being placed in the garden, and the fall story comes in there. The next one is in chapter 5. These are the generations of Adam. And it goes on. doesn't mean that Adam's the center of the attention. It just means that's the next part of the story. But the fall goes like this. And so as we've done this, I read some of Genesis 4 last time. And you know Genesis 4, where the story goes like this, that at the time of harvest, Cain brought in some, some fruits of the labor. And Abel, let me, let me just go back and just reread this story for you, just so you know I'm not making up that Cain cultivated the ground, and when it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. And Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift, and this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. So the Lord said, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. Now, at this point in time, you might say, wait, we don't have any teaching. We haven't had any communication on this. But the Lord is walking in relationships with, with, these, with these people and is talking to them. And so clearly, at some point in time, there's been some teaching on how to do this offering sort of thing. If you do what is right, you... But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. 
One day, Cain suggested to his brother, hey, let's go out in the fields. And while they were out in the field, Cain attacked his brother and his brother Abel and killed him. I don't know if you remember me saying this, that there didn't, there was one sort of entry-level sin, which is I'm not going to honor the Lord correctly, and then suddenly straight to murder. Do you understand? It didn't have like, like what we often think in our world with the war on drugs would usually say, well, there's, there's these entry-level drugs, and then there's a whole bunch of minor steps up to, before you get to these. Not always. I just want to say, not always. But that's not really what I'm going to talk about today. I just want you to understand this, that when God punished Cain, and Cain says, wait, 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 the punishment is too big for me, And the Lord said, well, I will put a mark on you, and then if anybody harms you, I will give a punishment for that sevenfold. So I'll protect you. You've paid your price. This is your price, blah, blah, blah. Now it goes on, and these are the descendants of Cain. Now, Cain had sexual relations, or the biblical word for that is he came to know his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch, and then Cain founded a city and named the, Enoch, named the city Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irid. Irid became the father of Mehuyael, and he became the father of Methushael, and Methushael, now this is not Methuselah, that is a different name later on, I just want you to know that. And by the way, it's always perfect, and this is the perfect time to review Dave's rule for biblical pronunciations. <laughs> Pretend you know what you're doing, and go. <laughs> That's the way it is. Methushael became the father of Lamech, and we're going to talk about Lamech for a moment here. Lamech married two women, the first Ada and the second Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those to raise livestock and live in tents. His brother named Jubal, the first of all to play the harp and the flute. Lamech's other wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named Tubal-Cain. He became an expert in forging tools. Now here's the point that I needed to come back to talk about. One day Lamech, said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamach. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. I just need to talk a little bit about what it means to be out of whack for a moment. Do you, do you understand in this reference what it means to be out of whack? We've gone all the way from Cain killing Abel and God saying, where's your brother? And Cain saying, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that is, yes, by the way, you were. <laughs> and now we're to, to Lamech saying, I killed a person and I'm so important and I'm not shy about it, and I'm so important that if anything happens to me, that punishment's going to be 77 times, that thing. I'm talking about out of whack, right? So what's the secret to interacting, or, or what's the secret to living when you're out of whack or you're near somebody that's out of whack? 
Do you, have you ever been living near somebody that's this out of whack? <laughs> maybe I should say, rather than maybe doing that with them, and maybe you've been out of whack near somebody else. Maybe your head's been locked in an upright position and you've just been going and it didn't matter who was hurt or who was bothered. How do we do this? The Bible essentially gives us some ways to do this. I'm going to talk about this. I think it does this. I think what happens when, when we become out of whack, we're incorrectly sized in proportion to the story we're in. And I want to say this a couple of ways, because we get out of whack sometimes both too important with ourselves or not important with ourselves. And I would say it this way, and some of you have heard me say this, there's two lies we tell ourselves that nobody else believes when we say them. The first one is, I'm perfect and everything I do is right. Now, if I come up to you and say that, hi, Lena, I'm perfect and everything I do is right, what do you know? That's not the case, right? <laughs> right, so if I believe that story, I'm the only one convinced. Lena knows I'm not perfect, even though she was too nice to admit it most of the time. <laughs> Correct? You're too nice to admit it, but even then, even it doesn't matter who it is that comes up and says, I'm perfect in all my ways, you would say, there's a fall coming. Right in, in the back of your head, even if you don't do it. The other lie we tell ourselves sometimes that nobody else believes, and I, I won't do this to Lena this time, I'll come all over here to bed. Because I already embarrassed Lena, you could tell by me. If I, say t if I say to you, I am completely useless and worthless in all my ways, you would say, even, that's not true, Right? Because nobody's without worth or without redemptive worth or something like that somewhere along the ways. So the only way, if I say that I'm the only one convinced, she wouldn't be convinced. Do you understand where I'm getting at? We, if we keep ourselves in the wrong spot, we're out of perspective if we think we're perfect or we're useless because neither is the truth. Now, if we go back to the story in Genesis, I was talking about the placement of the image of God within the temple and how different it was from the other story. Let me re, re, remind you of this story that on the sixth day in the order of creation in Genesis 1, all the scurrying little animals are created and the image of God is placed, men, humans, are placed in the thing. Now I want you to say, want you to know that sometimes Christians and humans have said we're the center of creation, we're the preeminent thing, and so we ought to dominate and do all this stuff. Or we said I'm perfect in all my ways and I never make a mistake. Right? I want you to know that that is true, that, that in the story, the story is focusing on the creation of the humans, but I also want you to know that humans didn't get their own day, right? They had to share their day with all the little scurrying creatures and all the other animals and all those things. And so if for preeminence, we didn't get our own day, we're probably not all that. <laughs> I just, just want to come out, right, and say that thing. 
Now, but, but the story in the other ancient Near East traditions, especially Egypt and in Babylon and stories like that, the image of the god, I need you to hear the story differently. In Egypt, the image of the god was Pharaoh, and everybody else was created to serve Pharaoh. a little out of whack, right? There's one person in charge and a whole bunch of slaves that are, that are expendable. That's that story. In the, in the, in the other story, in the Greek and, and uh, Babylonian stories, the image of the work of the gods was so heavy that, that it was toilsome and bothersome to them, so they created humans as an afterthought as slaves to do the work. That's the story, right? The work's too hard. We'll just do this. And then we'll have these slaves, and if they, if, if they can't do it, it'll be fine. But we'll handle it. Out of whack the other way, right? You, you didn't end up with one on a throne and everybody else's slaves. You ended up with none on a throne. And, and then, well, but, but the gods of the ancient world want this one in charge, and so we just put up with that. All of those things. But the story of Genesis was that humans are the image of God. It's a much more egalitarian sort of spot. There's not one to be in charge. We're supposed to be in charge together. Now, let me just put a little caveat on the side of that, okay? The people of God have always had a goal in mind for them to reach, but very rarely been very successful in the meeting of that goal. Do you understand what I'm saying? If God says you're all equal, but then we come up in this paternalistic society where we, we just ignore one half of the species, or, or actually 53% of the species, not half, but if we just do that, then that's not correct. That is a part of being out of whack. When we start saying, but the people that look like me are the special ones. Now, I know enough about demographics to know that depending on how you divide up the pie, sooner or later, everybody's a minority. And I tell you this little story. This was funny, so funny to me and my friend Henry, who is Chinese, who was going to a Dutch Reformed church. So he's in a very Dutch church, and he was Chinese, and, and he was at a meeting once, he was telling this story demographically about how you can get out of whack and not misunderstand demographics is what this is about. But Henry was Chinese, and everybody at the meeting was very Dutch. In other words, they usually had a van or dissolute or something like that in their name. And they were talking at their council meeting about how they didn't have any minorities in their church at all. And they didn't but they just looked right past Henry was one of them, and they'd forgotten to look that he was different. And he would say that, and then later on I was talking to him, I said, it's only in Henry's mind that the Chinese are a minority. Anywhere. Now, in, if you demographically carve him up into a, into a uh, Dutch Reformed church, he's a minority. But if you put him in Asia... He's not a minority. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's how you are, but if you're not right-sized, if you're not appropriately sized in the, 
in the storyline. Now, you can get out of whack in other ways rather than just think you're too big or too little. You can get ahead of yourselves, too, can't you? You can start to run before you've learned how to walk. I was talking with some of my AA people about this, that what do you do when you're in AA, and, and, and how many of you know that AA has a 12-step program? Do you just know that they have a 12-step program? Okay, but do you know what the first three steps are called? The foundation. Foundation. So the first three steps are you are powerless over your addiction, or if we Christianize that, you are powerless over sin. I just want to make sure we, we do that. That's the first one, to admit you're powerless over the problem. You can't fix it. Or, as I might say, there are two types of people in the world, those that need a Savior, know, those that know they need a Savior, and those that will know they need a Savior. There's just those two people. The second rule is believe that there's a power greater than ourselves now, and that power can restore sanity to your life. That's the second rule or the second step for things. In Christian, and in Christianity and the way we've been talking about it, there is a God, and you're not it. I'm, I'm not making that up. Now we're back to that wrong size spot, right? If I come to you and say, I'm perfect in all my ways, right? That's me essentially saying, I'm a God, and you're not, and, and everybody knows that's a lie. For me to continue believing that is self-delusion, Self-delusion, and you don't want to be deluded. Now, you can be... The, anyway, the third rule or the third step of the foundation is to make a decision to turn your life over to that God's power. That sounds remarkably Christian. And initially, it was meant that way. Now, it has been, it has been changed somewhat as time has gone on to do this. I just want you to know that what we're talking about, about getting ahead of yourself... I've run into people, and I've heard them talk about somebody who's, 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 who's doing a great job at number seven on, this, on the 12 Steps program, but they don't have a God that's holding them accountable back in step two. And, and from what I could gather from almost all of my conversations with AA people is if you're not... If you haven't dealt with one, two, and three, if you, if you haven't recognized you're powerless against your problem, that, that you need help with your problem, and that you need to submit to the help, you can get past that and start working on those other steps, but you're, you're still going to fail because you haven't recognized you're powerless and you need help. You're still in a self-help program. See, the, these first three steps are are essentially the difference between a self-help program and a dependency on God program. And, we, and that's about being right-sized. <laughs> or you can be Lamech and say, I'm such a big deal, I'm going to come home today, I killed somebody, but it's not really a problem unless somebody tries to kill me back and then I'm going to do a lot of damage. Do you, do you see the wrong side, sizeness of his head and him and his own thought process? But what I'm saying is we need to go back and get a correct view of ourselves. In other words, you're the image of God. Yes, that's fabulous. You, 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 you. 
Every one of you are made in the image of God, and you are called to be a steward of God's creation in that role with His help. That doesn't make you God. That just means that you're supposed to be His representative. Not in charge of everybody. Not making a mess everywhere you go. So right-sized humans, you're important. But you're not all that, right? You're important. God made you in His image, but He also made you on the same day with all the scurrying little creatures that we go eek about. <laughs> Just a little come up, okay? Just a little recognition of what's going on. So the second thing we do of what we do, and when we're head up in a lock position, the only way to come back around is to do, the, is to do what? Recognize your mistake. Own your part of it. How easy is that? Am I setting before you a difficult thing? Yes. And it's so hard. I just want you to hear that there's more to this story than you think because until you hear Lamech say 77 times and how dangerous it is, I don't think you'll ever understand the Matthew 18, 22 t- 20 text when Peter says to Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times? In other words, referencing the Cain problem. And Jesus says, no, 77 times referencing Lamech. We're not going to be doing damage to this level. No, not seven times, but 77, 70 times seven or seven. That's the Lamech thing. He's talking about that. He's saying, you're not supposed to get so out of whack that you forget that you're part of God's creation and so are they. But Lamech did. And so have I at other times too. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, everybody has sort of forgotten where we are in the equation, right? That suddenly I think that, that maybe I'm a bigger deal than I am, right? <laughs> this is me a bigger deal, right? It's so fun to be tall. Never ever had that problem really in life. <laughs> but, but, but if I'm in my wrong perspective, it's also if I were down here like this, right, and I'm just skimming over the thing and being tiny. No, we're wrong, but we have to own our own damage. And part of that story, the reason I brought up the 12-step the stuff is because they also have to go back and own their own damage and forgive other people and, and reset the image. It's like, that, it's, it's like a reset button on your life when you go through this, this process. You go back to Genesis and find out that you are made in God's image, but you're not alone. And so you have to be right-sized, and you have to, and you have to own your own damage, and, and so that, that we have no control over the problems. Because here's the problem. If we, if we don't own our own damage, then we start asking for other people to be ordered in this thing and order without justice is oppression. Now, I want to say this very clearly because I was corrected one time. Somebody said, well, law and order don't necessarily go together. I'm not saying that all law is just. And the quote doesn't say law. It says justice. 
And that's quite a different story. But what do we do with the fall? The fall is is we've essentially decided that we're going to be the judge of what's right and wrong because we're going to take the place of God and be huge. Right now I'm going to get back on the pew and do stair sizes, right? I'm going to be too big for my own britches again. If I'm going to be deciding what's right and wrong, I have to submit to what God says because he knows the whole story. So what then do we do? We accept God's authority and his judgment. But how do you do that? I'm, and I'm not cherry-picking out of the whole Bible. I think I'm talking about the whole story because if I do this, if I talk about Micah 6.8, by the way, that's this verse right here that's on this that was such a big deal to this church when I got here that I put it on the podium. It wasn't the way that I had done this before, but it's this. How should we then live and come into the spot? Micah 6.8 says this is what's required. To do what's right. Notice it doesn't say to decide what's right. It's to do what's right. To love mercy. That's the restoration stuff. And to walk humbly with your God to understand that you're not the Lord, he is. But you are his representative in the world. How does this work for us? If we do these things, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God, we have to set aside at some spot our judgment of what right and wrong is and accept the Lord's judgment. Because when we start saying, the way I've decided to do it is the right way, we're out of whack and Lamech is on the way. That's the problem. Lamech is on the way if, if we're the deciders of right and wrong. Matter of fact, you can make a significant case that somewhere in the fall of Genesis 3, I'll be the judge of that, is the sin. Should we eat the fruit? I'll be the judge of that. God says it's wrong. I'll be the judge of that. And so we have to set our own stuff. And then, because otherwise, we have no power in the spot. We don't have enough information to judge right and wrong. We don't have enough anything to judge right and wrong. We have to submit to his way. And then, by the way, have mercy to those that are also struggling with that struggle. And I know for a fact it's not that easy. Because I've struggled with it too. And to walk humbly, to recognize he's Lord and submit to his authority and just walk with him. That's the thing we need to do. I needed to come back and just get this so that we understood that the fall is all the way down to this spot where we think too highly of ourselves and we start doing damage and walk with our head up in a locked position. And that we can still be falling like that. But he has shown you, O oh man, what is good and right, and what the Lord requires of you to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that there is such a chance to begin again. 
that even if we're head up in a walk position, we can begin again. Thank you, Lord, for that. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.